So we're in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Short passage. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are grateful that we have another morning where we get to gather as your people. We get to gather as your church. Uh, We're just thankful that we get to come together with the kids and um, get to hear them this morning in our worship service and to hear them uh, even now as uh, we're reading through the word, Lord. I just pray that you are in our hearts this morning, that you are uh, guiding and directing us through this passage. Um, Ultimately, Lord, that it's your word being preached, your gospel being proclaimed, and your name getting the glory. Amen. All right. To start out, um, we're going to start long, long ago in a galaxy far... I'm just... We're not going to do Star Wars stuff. Um, But we are going to go back a little bit. Um, We're going to go back to about 490 B.C., um, to the story of when the Persians came across the sea to attack Athens. Um, Athens had rebelled, they wanted to come, and they wanted to destroy the city-state that had rebelled against the Persian Empire, and they were going to go and take that city down. So they had 60,000 Persians approach. Um, Athens gathered their people, about 10,000, realizing that wasn't going to be enough. They sent out runners to all of their allies, all the other city-states. And there's one of them, Pheidippides, that I'd like to focus on. He was the one that they sent to Sparta. Uh, Sparta was the only city-state around that had an actual professional military. So they were kind of the bad dudes in the region that if they get on your side, you have a much better shot of winning. So they sent Pheidippides out to run to Sparta. The problem was Sparta's about 150 miles away. So off he goes running, one of the first ultra-marathoners, really, if you think about it, running clear to Sparta. And when he gets there, he has to convince them now, you need to come to our help. And he's able to do that. He's able to tell them, the Persians are a bad threat. If they beat us, they could beat you too. Um, Let's join together. Maybe we can repel them back and we're going to be okay. So he convinces them, and then they agree. They say, yes, we're coming. Um, We'll be there in about two weeks. So she's like, that's not going to help us very much, but thanks for coming. And so he realized that his original plan was he's just going to go back with the army and join them there, go back with the Spartans and then join the Athenian army so they could fight the Persians. But realizing that they're going to be about two weeks away, he goes, I can't just wait. So after taking a quick nap, he runs another 150 miles back to the army so he could tell them that, hey, the Spartans are coming, but they're not coming for a couple weeks. Uh, Meanwhile, the Persians had decided that they're going to split their forces, attack both the city of Athens as well as the army, uh, forcing that small 10,000 troop to split. They decide, okay, well, if the Spartans are going to come, we can send most of our forces to the city, protect the city. A small group can stay here until the Spartans come. We can beat these guys, go back to the Persian, and then go fight for the city. But when Pheidippides gets there after running 300 miles at this point, He tells them, that's a great plan, but it's not going to work because they're not going to get here for two weeks. You guys are going to get wiped out, and then um, the city's going to get wiped out. So it's not going to work. Your plan isn't going to work. Because he ran all that way, because he put through the effort of running 300 miles, the thought is just amazing. 
Um, he was able to tell the Athenians they had a better plan. They're actually able to beat the Persians while the Persians were in the confusion of splitting their forces. And that battle is known as the Battle of Marathon. So they end up winning this amazing victory, all because there's this one guy who crushed it on this 150-mile run and then another 150 miles back. The whole course of history has changed. We don't know what would have happened if the Persians would have won, if they would have beat Athens. A lot of Western civilization, what we come to know, know and enjoy here in the U.S., is based on a lot of things that they did first in Athens and Greece. If the Persians win that battle, we don't know how much of our society is still here today. Um, it was a pretty world history changing event. Um, as we approach Hebrews 12, we see another race that is being commanded to run. We see another run that is equally important. It's not for the course of human history. It's for something much more eternal, for something much more grand. We are called to run the race for Christ, running towards Jesus, running for Jesus, running by the power of Jesus. That's the command that we see here in, Romans chapter, or in Hebrews chapter 12. So we have these three points, a command to run, a motivation to run, and a support to run. That's how I've broken out this passage, and that's how I'd like to kind of walk us through uh, Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. So starting with the command to run, what was this command that was given to the Hebrew Christians uh, thousands of years ago? And it was just that, it was to run the race. The idea behind this command, it's not leisurely jog, it's not briskly walk, um, it's run. The very language that's being used here is that of an athletic competition. It's meant to run the race. It's meant to run fast. There's this idea of striving, of spending strength, expending energy, giving everything you had. When we look over at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, we see Paul give a very similar command where he says, run that you may win. It's not enough to just kind of be out there on the field. You should be running to win the race. In Philippians 3, we see the command repeated again. Paul saying in his own life, he was not just running aimlessly. He was actually striving towards the goal. He wanted to reach the prize. He wanted to reach the end. And he's going to give everything he had to making it to that prize. That's the command that's given in Hebrews, or in Hebrews chapter 12. It's this command to run, to run with everything you have, to run the race that's set before you, to strive for that, to expend your energy for that. So why was this command given? Why were the Hebrews in need of this command? And you really see this boiling up through 11 chapters of these alternations between this wonderful depiction of who Christ is, what he's done for us, what Christ's position is, what his titles are, what's his role in our lives, coupled with these warnings to the Hebrews saying, you guys need to watch out. Christ is so glorious, but you guys, you need to watch how you're acting. You need to watch how you step. Uh, Christ is our amazing high priest, but you guys aren't even being priests yourselves. You guys who should be teaching others right now are, not even, are still needing to be taught. You who should be ready for solid food are still needing milk. So we see this alteration between who Christ is and then the warning to the Hebrew Christians of, you guys seem tired. You guys seem like you may not want to run this race anymore. Um, you see this heart of the author coming out to these people of saying, um, I want you guys to run. Christ is worth it. Christ is glorious. And right now I'm wondering, are you guys going to be able to make it to the end? Do you guys have the endurance to be able to continue to run this race? 
So is that anyone here today? Um, We're coming to the end of another year. Uh, The holidays have happened, so you had family together, a lot of chaos probably around the house, and I'm sure many of you are feeling just tired. It's been a long week, a really good week, but it's been a long week. Uh, Some of you may be tired from hardships that you've been struggling through. Maybe 2019 wasn't the best year for you. Maybe it was filled with several hardships that have just been weighing down your soul, that you're looking at this race that uh, you've been commanded to run. You're like, I don't know if I have it in me. I don't know if I can keep going. This race is hard. There's some here that have been told that the Christian life is going to be all candy and rainbows, right? That you get the prosperity gospel, that when you become a believer, Jesus is going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Everything you ever want, he's going to just give it to you. This life is no longer going to have any pain, no more hardship. And some people, that's how they were introduced into the Christian faith. That's not what this command is for. This command is telling you that you're going to need to run. That we know that your life is hard. We know that you've been going through a lot of challenges. We know that you're tired, that you've been running this race. But it's not enough to run it for a little while. You need to run it to the end. You need to run with endurance. So that's where we're at. We have these Hebrew people that have been They have been in the faith, but were worried. They seem tired. They seem like they may not be able to finish the race. And we have this author that is now speaking to them, encouraging them, you can do it. Christ is superior. Christ is worth it. You can run this race. So if we go back to verse 1, we see this sentence. Therefore, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We're going to come back to the cloud of witnesses here in a little bit. We want to talk about now of how are we to run. We have a command to run, but how are we actually to follow that command? And the author gives us two ideas, that we are to run with endurance and we are to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So running with endurance is a pretty straightforward concept, but it's one worth reiterating. It's this idea of it's going to be long. It's patient steadfastness. It's not these short sprints. It's not this put everything you have, run as hard as you can for a short time, and then coast for a little bit. It's this idea of patiently, steadfastly continuing the race, continuing to run. That's what we're being called to. We're called to run the race with endurance. There's going to be backache. There's going to be ankles that are twisted. Uh, There's going to be side cramps, toenails falling off, all kinds of horrible things are going to be happening to us as we're running this race. Our lives will have suffering in them. That is one of the many promises of Scripture for the Christian life, is that there will be suffering. But thankfully, that is not the only promise that's given to us. There's also the promise that Jesus Christ, that He will be with us through all of it. So we can run that race with endurance. We can run with that steadfastness that is required. So that's what it means to run with endurance. But now we have another concept, this idea of laying aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So a weight, you can picture it, it's this idea of a burden, just a mass, just a large object. No one sets forth to run a race thinking, oh, I need a huge object to just really slow me down. Right? That's not how you run a race. Then you have this idea of sin which clings so closely. It literally means sin that is surrounding you and trying to trip you up. This isn't just a weight that's bogging you down. This is something that's actively trying to force you to stumble. It's, there's skill implied there. 
It's not this idea that just the sin is just kind of there and you're stumbling across. It's a, no, it's trying to grab your foot. It's that game that when you're a kid, you'd play, you'd walk, and you try to knock the heel of the person behind you so that they fall over. I'm not sure if any of you played that game. I played that game a lot. I still play that with Levi sometimes. Um, but it's this idea that sin is actively trying to trip us. It's actively trying to make us stumble. And it's around us. It's surrounding you. It's, it's around you. And it's also this weight. So we have the weight and we have the sin, both of which are around us, both of which are trying to prevent us from running. But I want to take a moment to think about why the author included the weight. Intuitively, we all understand that sin is bad, right? That we are called not to sin. There's many places throughout Scripture where it says, uh, kill sin, reject sin, get rid of sin. The sin is trying to kill you. It's a devouring lion. It wants to destroy you. So we have a pretty good understanding that, yeah, I need to get rid of the sin which clings so closely. That's not something I'm struggling to comprehend. I recognize that's something I need to do. Why does the author go ahead and include this idea of weight? And I think it falls back to this idea that when I was particularly younger, and I still do it today, but we tend to ask ourselves when we go about our day, when we look at things that we're doing, activities that we're involved in, ways that we're spending our time, we sometimes ask the question of, is this a sin? Right? I, I, I ask myself that at times, or I'm wondering, like, should I really be doing this? Well, is it a sin? No? Okay, great. I can do it. Um, and we start getting into this mindset where it's not this idea where we're really just focusing on the minimum. What's the minimum that we have to achieve? Um, is this good or bad? Is this activity a sin? And you get answered, well, not really. You're like, okay, great, I can do it. And we can so easily fall into this mindset. We're asking ourselves these questions of what does it mean to sin? What can we do before we actually get to the point of sin? Uh, at what point am I are eventually falling into sin? How do we know what sin is? And we're framing our whole concept around this line that we're drawing in the sand of, on one side we're okay, on the other side it's sin. I want to try to do what I want to do and not cross that line. The author here is telling us that those aren't the correct questions to ask. That's not the way that you run the race effectively. There's more to it than that. And the question you should, not, you should be asking yourself is not, what is the sin that's going to keep me from running? The idea is, what are the weights in my life that I need to get rid of? How can I run to the most effective ability? How can I run so I can reach the prize? How can I run with everything inside of me? I want to get rid of the weight. I want to get rid of anything that's going to hinder me from reaching Christ. We're not looking at this idea of what's the line in the sand to which we are now in sin, to which we are now okay. This idea of everything that we do, everything that we encounter in our lives, is it helping us run? Or is it slowing us down? Are those the questions that we're actually going to start asking? So quickly, those questions of is it sin, is it not, can lead us down into the path of legalism, where you start thinking of what's the minimum I need to be doing to be considered running? What's those few activities I need to keep up so that I can be considered running to all my Christian friends that are around me? What are those things I need to do to make sure I don't lose God's favor? What are those few things that I need to do to make sure I'm just Christian enough? How do I earn that spot in heaven? What do I have to, what's those minimum things I need to perform? The author's telling us to cut that out. He's rephrasing the whole way that we ask the questions of ourselves. We're no longer asking, what is the minimum righteousness should I attain in order to reach heaven? He's saying, no, we're purchased by grace in Christ. 
Do you see what Christ did for you? Do you see how he died for you, how he cares for you, how he wants you to come to know him, to enjoy him? Stop asking what's the minimum you have to do to earn that love. Realize you have that love and start saying, what's the maximum I can do to reach him sooner? How can I become like him now? How can I run this race in order to reach the prize? Go through your routines. Go through your day. When you're considering yourselves in the morning, is your morning routine helping you run to Christ? Is your commute to work helping you run to Christ? Is the way you act at work helping you run to Christ? Is when you're with parenting your kids, is that helping you run to Christ? As you're with your coworkers, are you running the race? Are you running towards Christ? When you come home and you interact with your family, are you running towards Christ? Are these patterns that you're building in your lives helping you run to Christ? Or are they weights, things that are slowing you down? Things that, they're not necessarily sins. They're not something that you have to just completely cut off. But they're things that, is that helping you? When we think about our money, when we think about our time, our leisure activities, our hobbies, are these helping us grow up in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Are these helping us run that kind of race? Are these helping us turn into that kind of person? Or are they weighing you down? Are they holding you back? Are they keeping you away from that final sanctification that Christ has in mind for you, that he went to the cross to purchase for you? You can think about some of these things um, based off of how many shows are you watching on Netflix. I guess now it's Disney Plus, right? That's the new one. Um, not to say that Disney Plus is wrong, not to say that it's not okay to watch The Mandalorian, but it does require us to ask ourselves, is this hindering us? Is what I'm doing right now the best use of my time? When you talk about your finances, is what are you spending your money on, is that to build your own kingdom, or is that to build God's kingdom? When you look at how much time you're even staying at work, is that helping establish you as a rooted believer? Are you working hard for the grace and glory of God? Because if so, amen. But is it becoming an idol that you're seeking that position, that fame in your position, in your position at your job? So you're chasing after that, you're running towards that, at which point that is just a weight that is hindering you from reaching the final sanctification that God has in store for you. Um, to think about this point, I like to, I told Chad I was going to talk about him a little bit. Um, he, he was a track star, so he was, he's an athlete, Oregon. And I asked him this question, I was like, Chad, what would it, have you ever, in all of your years of running track, have you ever come across someone who got into the blocks, picked up a couple 25-pound dumbbells, and then just started running the 100 with you, trying to win? He's like, no, that's stupid. Why would, why would you even say that? Um, he's like, of course not. Of course no one is needlessly weighing themselves down. In fact, it's so much the opposite direction that in order to win, I have this from Chad himself, that he would shave pretty much all of the hair on his body because that would provide a little bit more resistance, a little bit more weight that would be slowing him down in this race. I mean, even in high school track, I remember you'd have those, there'd be the weight of a normal pair of shorts would be just too much apparently. So you just have those little four-inch shorts. <laughs> Woo! No. Not quite. <laughs> so are you willing to run the race to that degree? 
Do you have such a desire of wanting to reach the prize, wanting to reach Christ, that these weights are like, I don't need them. I don't need these weights. I don't need anything that's going to hinder me from reaching the end, from reaching glory. Or do you need to be like Elsa and Frozen, right? Just let it go. No, kids? Um, <laughs> for some of us, we've held on to these weights for so long. We've held on to these sins that they almost feel like they're a part of us, that they're more crutches, right, than the actual weights that they are. They're like, I don't think I could get through the day without just a couple hours of me time at the end of it. I don't think I could get through my work day unless I kind of slack off a little bit. I don't think what fill in the blank. Whatever some of these weights are that are slowing down your process, that is not letting you become like Christ, that's not letting you run the race, all of those weights, they're not crutches, they're not helping you, they're slowing you down, they're keeping you from running the race. So how do we lay aside these weights? How do we run with endurance? Because we've already established this race is not easy. It's filled with hardships. There's a lot of pain. There's going to be a lot of loss as you start counting what these weights are in 2020. How can we keep going? How can we persevere? How can we continue with endurance? Um, The answer of this is given to us through faith. And we see that faith is the belief of God and belief in all of his promises, that he will do what he says he does, that he is someone that we can trust in. He is someone we can put our confidence in. We can have assurance that what he says he will do. And when he tells us that because of Christ, that he came and purchased their place on the cross, that if we believe in that, if we trust God and trust his promises, we receive that. We achieve that. And that's what faith is. It's that confidence assurance in God, and in all of his promises. For many of you that are tired, this idea of another command to follow, the command to run, it seems incredibly oppressive, doesn't it? It seems like, okay, I I know I need to run, but I'm tired. Don't you realize? I know I need to run, but there's things just holding me back. Just telling me to run faster, to run harder, isn't going to actually make us run harder. It's not going to make us run faster. And that's why we have all of verse 2, getting into the motivation to run. We see that the motivation to run is founded on Christ through faith. All in chapter 11, the author has given us example after example of people who have endured hardships, people who have been killed, who have suffered loss, who have had to give up identities of themselves, uh, pieces of who they are, in order that they may run the race that God had set before them. And time and time again, we see these examples that it was worth it. Every time we have these examples where someone said, I was running the race, it got really hard, but I had faith that it was worth it, and I made it. So where do we find that kind of faith? Where do we find the kind of faith that allows us to lay aside our weights, to lay aside our sin, and to run with endurance? What kind of faith can even support such an impossible task? such a monumental task, such as the lifetime running. The idea of running 300 miles does not compare to the idea of running this eternal race that we have set before us, that you have to conquer sin, you have to go through your very nature. You cannot run this race on your own power. That's why we see verse 2 pop up, where it comes. We're called to run the race looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is our second point. It is the motivation to run. It is by Christ that we can run. It is in Christ that we can have faith. It's in Christ who is the example for us that lets us continue on this race so that we can reach the end. So what does it mean to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? Uh, The looking here has two parts. It means you're looking away from something and looking towards something else. In this case, we're looking away from our weights, from our sin. We're looking away from our old nature, from all the things that we used to want. And we're looking towards something new, something greater. We're looking to Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the founder of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. He is the author and the one who will complete it. That faith that we need in order to run this race is given to us in Jesus. The word founder means he is the initiator, the pioneer, the author. He is the one who initiated that faith in each and every one of us who call ourselves believers. He gave us that faith to start with, and this verse promises us that he is the one who will complete it. He is the perfecter of our faith. He perfected it by the work he did on the cross, and as we see in Philippians 1, he promises that he will perfect it in you as well. Every single one of us has this promise that he who began the work in us will see it to completion. Those of us who had the faith initiate within us by Christ, Christ will see that completed. That is what we can have confidence in. That is what we can have faith in. As you're approaching your struggles, those weights that you don't want to let go, you can trust that Jesus is with you, that he is helping you lay aside those weights. He's helping you lay aside that sin, and it's for his sake that he is doing this. He is the strength that you need that both begin and end the task. Um, As we come to Jesus, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we look to him in our lives, as we look to him in the word, as he is the word made flesh, as we see him more clearly, as our confidence in him grows, we see the weights start to fall off. We see the worth in Christ. And it makes it those, those weights don't seem like we need them any longer. So how are you doing with that? How are you doing at setting your eyes on Jesus? How much time a day do you spend fixing your eyes on Jesus? We get told all day long all of the things by the world of what you need, how you should act, what are all of the toys that you need, what are all of the um, new gadgets, the new TV, the new car, the new house. All day long we're fixing our eyes on what the world tells us to need. How often are you actually fixing your eyes back to Christ? How often are you turning away from the things that this world says you need and looking to the cross? As we understand who Christ is, as we understand his character more and more, our faith itself grows. The more confidence you have in the object of the faith, the more your faith itself grows into that understanding of the object of your faith. So fix your eyes on Christ. Spend time in his word. Spend time talking about Christ to one another. All of these commands are given to the church. They're not given to the individual, but they're given to the full church. So as you're talking with one another, talk about who Christ is. Help one another set your eyes on Christ. Help each other. Look to him who can help us remove, lay aside these weights, lay aside these sins, and run with endurance. Not only is he the power source that allows us to do this, but he's also an example. That's the other way that he motivates us, is he gives us the perfect example of what does it look like when you need to lay aside your immediate satisfaction, lay aside your immediate for the joy that is coming in eternity. If we go to the second part of verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew what it was like to experience hardships. He knew weights. He knew the shame of sin. He did not try to minimize the, what he was going to experience. We see in Luke that he was sweating blood as he contemplated the process that was coming before him, the cross where he would ultimately face the wrath of God on our behalf. Jesus felt every hardship. He endured the worst agony, suffered the most shame, and he despised it. He hated what he was about to do. He hated the thought of going to the cross, um, of having to be separated from the Father, of facing the wrath of God. But it says, for the joy set before him, he endured it. So despite recognizing, having a full understanding of what it meant as he was getting ready to march up to the cross, he knew what was coming, but he was able to endure that for joy. It was no lesser thing that would get him through the cross. It wasn't this idea of fear. He wasn't afraid of the Father. It wasn't an idea of duty. He had a duty to uphold. It wasn't this mystic fate that was culminating in this ultimate point where Christ eventually went to the cross. No, it was the joy the joy of the Son to endure the cross. He saw the cross and he faced it head on. The joy that he experienced was the joy that we see in Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Jesus knew that despite the circumstances he's about ready to undergo despite the pain and the sorrow, he knew that there was a greater joy. There is a greater joy being with the Father, being seated at the right hand of the Father, that eternity was worth it, that the coming glory was worth it, that the fact that he was able to obey the Father, that he was going to be able to present the saints to the Father saying, they're redeemed, their penalties paid, I paid their penalty for them, that that joy, that glory, that's what got him through the cross. So as we evaluate our life for 2020, as we look to the sins and weights, it may start to feel like loss. It may start feeling like, I'm going to have to give up so much. I'm going to have to let go of so much. No, I can stand here with confidence, with complete confidence and tell you that it will be worth it. Because scripture tells us that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. That whatever hardship we have here, whatever we have coming now, it's not worth comparing to the joy that is coming in the future. Um, there's this uh, reference, I'm not sure if anyone's read the book Desiring God. It's one of John Piper's classics. Um, but it's this idea that um, he promotes in the book that it's not that our desires for sin, our desires for the flesh are too strong. Some of us feel that, right? You feel like, man, my desire for just um, being selfish is too strong. My desire for lust is just too strong. My desire for whatever it is, is just too strong. I can't walk in obedience because my desire is too strong. Uh, in the book, it argues, it's not that your desires are for sin are too strong. It's that your desires for heaven are too weak. Um, so this last year, have you stopped and meditated on what heaven will be like? Have you done that this day? Have you done that in the last week, the last month? 
Have you done that in the whole last decade? Have you stopped and just contemplated what is heaven going to be like? Why does the scriptures keep saying that this is worth any suffering, any trial that we face now? I encourage you to do so. I encourage you to meditate on the time when we will be with God, when we will get to enjoy him, when we get to be with him face to face, when we're no longer going to be singing songs like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, when he will have come, when we will have the physical representation of God with us. It's not going to be this idea anymore, but we will actually be with God for all eternity in the place where there's no more sorrow, no more shame, no more sin, nothing that could separate us pure joy with the Father, with the Son, and the Spirit forever. Meditate on these things as we go into 2020. As we meditate on the glories that await us in heaven, the weights and the sins that we have to leave behind now begin to fade away. You begin to be empowered by our faith in Christ, that you can let those things go, that running the race is worth it, And like this author in Hebrews, we can confidently say to one another, run. Guys, it's worth it. We can run. Let's keep going. Let's not do that thing right now. Let's not spend our money on that right now. Let's not use our time for that right now. Let's run. How can we help each other run? So not only do we have this ultimate example in Christ, but we also have the example of all of Hebrews 11. And that brings us to our last point here with the support to run. Um, the verse, the, this is the phrase that we skipped over, but now we're coming back to. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run. We have all of these witnesses from the Old Testament, from Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Joseph, Jacob, all of them. They keep going. We actually studied many of them as we went through Genesis last year, this past year. We have all of these examples of people who, they have three things in common. Uh, one, they all encountered hardships. They all suffered something. They all had to face some trial, some tribulation. The other thing they all have in common is they were all imperfect. None of them did it to the perfect ability. This is not a call to perfection. It is a call to run. But we also have the third thing they kept in common, that by God's grace, they all kept the faith. Faith in God that he would do what he had promised, and that is what got them through to the end. So now they stand as witnesses, not as this group that is kind of like looking down on us, watching what we're doing. It's not like Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life. Watch that movie for the first time. Um, But they're they're not there kind of watching, orchestrating our lives and helping us just see things clearer. Their testimony is one that we find in the Word, and it speaks to the faithfulness of God. They stand there as you're going through your trial. As you feel insignificant, you look to Moses who said, I couldn't speak in front of people, yet God used me. He said that it's worth letting go of all the riches of Pharaoh and to run with him, that that was worth it. And we look at David who says, I messed up. I was supposed to be the man after God's own heart, and I failed horribly. I committed the adultery. The adultery can't keep you out. Your sin can't keep you out. God's faithfulness, go to him. Return back to him. Have faith that he will forgive you. That will get you there. That can sustain you. That can get you to the end. We have all of these witnesses throughout all of Scripture, but also outside of Scripture. Those are just some examples. Who are the witnesses in your life? 
Who are those saints that have come before that have testified, that have said, have faith. Faith will get you to the end. I know, I know it's hard. I know the race is long. I know it's hard to endure. But you can do it. By faith, you will make it. God is on his throne and he will get you there. These are the witnesses that we have. This is the support system that God has intentionally wired around us. Testimonies, time and time again, witness after witness, testifying that God is faithful, that he will do it, he is able, and he can carry you through to the end. So as we conclude, I want to reflect on James 4, 14. This verse tells us that our life is a mist. A mist, right? Mist. That's your life. Mist. Everything that you've hoped for, all of the time you're spending at work, all of the time you spend with your family, all the time you're spending sleeping, everything. Mist. All of your struggles, all of your hardships, everything you've had to endure this last year, everything you've had to endure your whole life, everything you will endure until you reach the end, mist. This isn't to try to minimize your hardships. This isn't to say, oh, well, just don't think about those things. Oh, just don't worry about how bad it hurts right now. It's, that's, that's, that's not important. That's not what the author's trying to say. The author's trying to say, recognize your pain, recognize your hardships in view of eternity. If you just let yourself fixate on how hard the race is now, it's going to be so hard for you to make it. Don't concentrate on the mist. It is just but a vapor. It will go away. We have eternity upon eternity, decade upon decade, century, millennia upon millennia coming for us after this life is over. Don't let this current struggle distract you from the joy that you have in that future promise, in that future hope that in the end, this will all be worth it. So as we run, we need to run like a child, like a child who just gets released to recess. I'm not sure if you've seen kids when they get a go to recess. It is crazy, right? They yell. Every time there's a yell, it's the recess bell rings, there's a yell. All the kids chuck their bags, everything, and they're gone. They're running to that playground. They don't care. They're like, this backpack, I don't want this backpack. You never see that kid saying, well, I needed some of my homework. Let me make sure I bring my homework with me. Or let me make sure I grab this, right? They, they don't even remember their jackets. They're in such a hurry to get to the playground. They just want to run. They just want to get there. That's the same kind of abandon that we're called to, to run. Is it hindering you? Is this weight slowing you down? Take it off and run. It's worth it. The prize is there. We have this assurance. We know that as we run to Jesus, that he is seated on his throne. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and he promises us that it's worth it, that to run to him is worth it. He is the one who promises us that he has made us more than conquerors. He is the one who is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the one who is higher than all the angels, who is the only begotten son of the living God. He is our great high priest. He is the Emmanuel, the one who came to dwell with us, the incarnation. He is the word made flesh. He is the one who made all and sustains all. He is our great king priest. He is the God-man. He is the only one who's worthy to open the scroll. He is the one who has conquered death itself. That is who we're running to. That is who we're chasing after. Which brings us back now to our good old Pheidippides, 
our runner, the guy who ran 300 miles to help save Western civilization-ish. <laughs> but um, after the Greeks had won that battle of Marathon, they sent him back to run to Athens now and to tell them the good news. Hey, guess what? You guys aren't all going to be slaughtered by this crazy army. Um, we won. We were able to win. Uh, go tell everyone that we've won. We're victorious. And so this time he has a short race, just 25 miles, right? 25 miles. And he runs that race as hard as he can. And when he gets there, he cries out, Nikki, Nikki, Nenikikiem. Uh, I'm not sure if any of you know what that means. I didn't. But it means victory, victory, rejoice, we conquer. And it's, the, the story goes that he immediately just died. That he comes there after running so hard, running this race, he proclaims, Nikki, Nikki, Nenikikiem dies. Victory, victory, rejoice, we conquered. Um, we too are now given a race that is going to end in our death. You are going to be running this race to the day you die. We're called to run as hard as you can, to run with endurance, to run this race that's been set before you. Don't take anything that's going to slow you down. Let go of everything that's going to trip you up and look to him. Look to him who empowers you to do these things. Look to Christ who has purchased this place for you in heaven. Look to him who's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we get a run. Nikki, Nikki, Nenny, Kikiem. Victory, victory, rejoice, we conquer. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you um, for just the confidence, assurance we have uh, that to run, to run to you is worth it. That to give our lives to running this race um, will always be um, worth it, Lord. That the glory that is waiting for us in heaven is so beyond our comprehension that all we know is that it is um, something that is worth our very lives. That despite the hardship, despite the trouble, despite what we're facing, despite what 2019 was, Lord, as we come into 2020, we pray uh, that we may be fixing our eyes on you, that we may be looking to you, turning away from anything that might distract us, and running the race, running as hard as we can to the one who's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And it's all in his name that we pray. Amen.